0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the world famous Arsenal Cannon podcast extravaganza featuring, as usual, myself, Daniel Fenton, Alfie Coleshaw, and we are joined by a high profile, highly thought of, beautiful, may I even say, guest. He is known <laughs> for his amazing podcast, The Artscast, also along with his awesome blog, the Ars Blog, he is notorious for his deep, smooth voice that I would remin- that's, thats quite reminiscent to a fresh bowl of gelatin at the bottom of Mariana's Trench.
1: Andrew. Gelatin. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. It's—it's nice it's the first time I have to say I've ever been introduced on a podcast and called beautiful. So thank you very much. You've <laughs> a, a world first right here.
0: Oh absolutely. I'm sorry that you haven't um encountered more honesty in your prestigious career because I'm just just being
2: honest with you, Andrew. Thank Alfie, you, man. you as yeah. well. Welcome yeah, back. How are um, we doing? Still ill, so yeah, still sound a bit rough. I don't know if you can tell on the on the audio, but yeah, getting better. One day,
0: one day. Alfie is a, Andrew, just to let you know, Alfie is a very sickly individual and we just can't seem to get him healthy. <laughs> So if you happen to know any really good maybe vitamin C supplements or anything like that, please feel free to let them know. Yeah,
1: like um, I I would say probably, you know, healthy diet, no alcohol, uh, no fast food, eat lots of vegetables, drink lots of fruit juices. I'd say those could be a a first step, but uh, an unfortunate one because, you know, who wants to live without all those good things? Yeah.
2: Exactly, yeah, particularly alcohol, definitely a problem.
1: Yeah. I hear so you. we
0: hope to we hope to get some some good knowledge from this podcast um, through the likes of Andrew. And we hope to learn some stuff about Arsenal and also I'll be hopes to learn some stuff about vitamin C supplementation. So <laughs> without further ado, I guess we should just get right into the into the Everton matchup that saw us win our third successive match. I mean, I, I I didn't know when I'd be saying that again. It was pretty doomy, pretty gloomy. As of hmm. recent, obviously, performances have been improving under Arteta, but we did manage the three points in a highly contested match against Ancelotti's tenacious Everton. Um, Andrew, I'm going to go over to you first. I guess the best place to start off would be with the starting 11. There were a few surprise inclusions in there, including... Eddie and Ketia and Danny Sabayo. So just ask you about one of those surprise inclusions and then I'll go ahead and ask Alfie about the other. What did you make about uh, make of rather Eddie and Ketia's inclusion over Alexandra Lacazette? Was that something that kind of surprised you or was that something that you could have seen happening even before the game?
1: It was a little bit surprising even though he started the last game against Newcastle. And I suppose that was an indication that Mikel Arteta sees something in in Eddie Nketiah that that he likes and he trusts and he has some faith in. But, you know, Lacazette has been, I suppose it's because he's been in that position for so long now. Um, and having come through a, a, a poor run of form where he hasn't really scored, he scored in, in the last, Two games, so I figured that would probably be the um, that would give him the edge in terms of a start But but Arteta obviously wants to give Anquelli a chance. He kept him um, after he came back on his uh, from his loan at Leeds. He could have sent him out on loan again, but he's kept him, and I do think he's he's rewarded. Um, his manager by scoring a, a very good goal and playing pretty well overall. I suppose if you look at the the makeup of the squad and you look at you look at the kind of players that we have for our forward positions, you might say that that Lacazette and Inquietia are, are if not exactly the same, quite similar in that they mm. um, they're both centre forwards. Like you wouldn't necessarily see Lacazette being able to play where Aubameyang plays or Pepe plays, and the same with Inquietia, you don't see him play in wide positions. So. If he's going to rotate his strikers and if he wants to keep players fresh, then uh, he, he obviously sees in Ked, Eddie and Ketty as an option. And you got to wonder what that goal will do for him and his confidence. Um, it can only be a good thing.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. I completely, I completely agree with that, Alfie. Yeah, was there anything you, you wanted to add with that? I think he pretty much hit the nail on the head with that. They are pretty similar players to each other, aren't they? Both very, very high work rate.
2: Yeah, and also just the fact that he didn't send him back on loan, he had to sort of start giving him a bit more game time to sort of justify that decision. I think the other sort of surprise inclusion was the Ceballos one. Um, I think it is perhaps a pivot we're going to be seeing a lot more of in future games, particularly in home games against sort of lesser sides. I know Everton obviously in pretty good form and you could argue a better tip, well sort of on par with us at the moment, but I think Sabios you know, had a difficult start to the game, but I think over the course of the ninety minutes we did see the benefits of that pivot. Um, sort of the progressive passing and you know, it allowed us to build moves a lot more quickly. So I think overall the team selection was justified, obviously, because we got the result and yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would I would completely agree with that. And you know, beforehand I was I'm um, especially at Newcastle when Arteta put Ceballos in for for Torreira. I was kind of concerned about whether or not that would make us a little bit more defensively open, I guess you could say, because on paper it looks a very attacking lineup because Ceballos is a pretty attacking player. You know, he likes those positive forward passes and and things like that. But we see with him coming into the lineup that he also adds a bit of defensive stability as well. He's pretty good at making
2: a tackle. Yeah, I think uh, that is something when he came from Madrid. I think people didn't really realize how he, he actually. I mean, his his. I was looking at his stats bomb radar from last season, and he's actually got pretty good defensive stats. He works hard. Uh, yes, he's not the most mobile, um, but he. You know, he, he made a brilliant tackle in, at some point in the second half. I think it was from Richarlison. Um, And, you know, there was one against St. Maximan against Newcastle. So he does have... He's actually better defensively. And I think before these two games, people were questioning where they could really play in a pivot, particularly alongside someone like Shaka, who isn't the most mobile as well. But it has proved to be... I would say we were slightly exposed at times, particularly in that first half against Newcastle and in the second half against uh, Everton with this pivot, because, as I said, they're not the most mobile. But overall, I think Ceballos is proving perhaps why we should invest in him. I know it's quite premature to say that because, you know, you had the Burnley game and then these two mm-hmm. games, but he is starting to improve. So, uh, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Andrew, any uh, any any thoughts on, on that? I mean, do you kind of share the same thought on that do you think maybe we should look to invest in Ceballos or is it too soon to say
1: Uh, I, I would just want to see a bit more from him on a more consistent basis you know it's very hard to judge players on that period when you know the Burnley game was fantastic and it was that early season optimism and I think he captured something on that day which resonated with fans we all had such high expectations at that point in the in the season you know um but it's harder to judge him and harder to judge the other players really on on what they did in that period when it started going wrong under Unai Emery, right? We, you know, uh, individually and collectively things were were really bad, and he had the injury, of course. I, I like the um, I like the attitude that he has, you know. I like the fight mm-hmm. that he has when there was talk about him going in January. You know, he came out and said, "Look, that that would have been the cowardly decision. The the right way to do this is to fight for a place and to, you know, to prove to people that I've I've come to Arsenal and made the right decision." Um, I, I like that about him. He does have a bit of spike to him. You know, you you, you remember towards the end of the first half in, in the Everton game, he got cleaned out by Richarlison. Oh um, um, yeah. And it was a you know it was one of those uh files that looked was that a red card? No, uh, I was I, I was, don't think so. I, I, I think I it's on so. is one of those that looks worse than it is, you know. Um but oh, okay. there was a period or there was a moment like in the second half, maybe about halfway through, where he he was chasing with Richardlesson down the down the right hand side, uh down or maybe down hmm. our left hand side. Anyway, he left one on. Richarlison made a foul. It was just a foul, but I like that about him. He went back and had a little, had a little go back, you know? So, you Mm. know, clearly there's talent there. There's, there's good attitude there. There's, um, there's potential there. I guess we just have to wait and see if he can produce over, over a period of, you know, the next three months or so between now and the end of May, before we could decide to commit, you know? And I suppose what, what, what he wants to do as well will be an interesting part of it because himself and Zidane really don't get along. So, you know, if Zidane remains at Real Madrid, he's probably going to be a bit peripheral there as well. So a lot will depend on A, what he does, and B, what the situation is going to be for him at Madrid next season. But look, it's good to see him back. And, you know, a few weeks ago you would have said this guy is you know, this season's Dennis Suarez and now everyone's talking about signing him. So that'll show you how quickly things can change in football. Yeah, oh, exactly. totally,
0: absolutely. Yeah, very difficult to to disagree with any of the points you brought up there. And Alfie, you are obviously local to the Emirates yeah. Stadium, so you get to go to more games than that of Andrew or I, which is fortunate for you. Yeah. I'm jealous, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> but Ceballos, I mean, with me watching over the telly, he seems to be quite a... A, a well-liked guy there. I mean, am I right? He seems like the Emirates crowd really likes him and really gets behind him.
2: Yeah, you heard the uh, the chant about, uh, you know, Paella and that throughout the game. And, yeah, they did seem to respond particularly to what Andrew was saying about that challenge in the first half,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: the, the one on Richarlison. They seemed to respond to that very well. And, yeah, I think he is quite a like character because of that spike that he's got and obviously the talent he's, he's beginning to show a bit more in these last few games so I'm looking forward to seeing sort of how Arteta approaches that dilemma of having Lucas Torreira uh, or Danny Sabas alongside Granite Xhaka or whether he tries something like a Torreira Sabas midfield um but yeah yeah and only time
0: will tell really I guess it is a good headache to have for Mikel Arteta an overage of quality players in the midfield if you like and i think that's a good thing we have a lot of matches every premier league season so it's good to have quality players like ceballos jaca and torreira all fighting for for one position um as well so a lot of a lot of decent players in that in that area for us at the moment Um, andrew i'll move on to you with this one i guess we'll get right into the summarization of the game uh not the not the best of starts i guess you could say mm. conceding about I
2: missed that goal by the way i was in the i was still waiting to get into the ground and then I just heard someone say oh 1-0 down <laughs>
1: um so yeah it wasn't great no it's a poor start all right
0: yeah about a minute in, we uh we concede that that free kick danny Ceballos uh, making the foul there obviously um swings in there kalashinets Kalashinach, rather. Let's Yeramina break the line. Uh, David Luiz. I, I couldn't quite tell. Andrew, I don't know if you saw it maybe a bit better than I did. It kind of looked like it maybe bounced off his shoulder, if yeah. I'm not mistaken.
1: I think so, yeah.
0: And yeah. then uh, Calvert-Lewin pretty doing decent really finish.
1: Well.
0: Yeah, very nice overhead kick there from, from Calvert-Lewin. What did you make of the conceding of the goal, I guess you could say? Was there... Any particular party that was the most culpable or was it just a collective of comedic errors, really?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think you have to really look at Kolasinac and, and how he has allowed himself to get dragged that deep um, with, I think it was Mina that he was hmm. grappling with. You know, he's four yards behind the defensive line when the free kick is taken. And that's hmm. just, you know, there are basics in football and basics in defending. And, um, you know, to go out in the first minute and just completely lose um, all sense of organisation. I think that will will have worried Mikel Arteta a little bit about Kalas also about his team as well. I think one of the one of the improvements that Arsenal have made is um, you know being more compact defensively, and that doesn't just mean when you are. Um, when you're playing from left to right, for example, but also when you're defending set pieces and when you're stretched across the pitch, you know, the distances between your defenders and your center halves, um, it could have been better. So it was one of those where I think, you know, we were caught, we were caught out a little bit by the earliness of the, the free kick. Um, you you might ask about the communication and, uh, you know, whether, whether we could have been better organized. I think we could have been, I also think maybe Louise could have done better with the header, um, but look, you know, it was a, maybe a bit of a wake-up call uh, for the team and maybe not a bad one because sometimes when you come back from a European away game, it can take you a while to get going. Um, if you're reminded very, very quickly that you're in a game against tough opposition, maybe it just snaps you out of that little lethargy that you were in. I think I think that was the case because you saw Arsenal respond quite quickly and then dominate most of that first half and also the first part of the second half, it was after that when the legs started to get really tired in, in the second period, you know? So it, was, it wasn't it was a great start, but I did think it gave us a, a kick up the arse.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alfie, obviously, you were there. You did, unfortunately, miss the goal, which, mm, I mean, I get it, though. Makes sense. The the time I went over there and visited, um, I was always no, late. late. Yeah, yeah. But that was my fault. <laughs> uh, that's OK. It's, I, I, I could tell you this much as a guy who lives in Florida in a pretty small town where there's not too much traffic. Um, the traffic in London is absolutely dreadful. So I totally get <laughs> you being late to the game. I'm not going to be not going to be too uh, frustrated with you on that one. But you did still exactly. see the mood of the stadium um, after the goal. Obviously, we yeah. were all very optimistic prior to it, prior to the early conceding of the Calvert-Lewin finish. Did it kind of calm down a bit? Maybe some of that negativity creep back in? Or was it still all really chill vibes only?
2: I think the fans have to be given credit for yesterday. There wasn't much negative. There was a lot of booing at halftime. But I think that was mainly towards the referee for that. I mean, everyone where I was sitting thought Richarlison should have been sent off. It looked rash, obviously. It was a bit impulsive from you know home fans. You can sort of expect that, but yeah, I think the fans stuck behind the team for the, throughout the game, and that wasn't really a problem yesterday. Um, obviously, Kalasenac came off, and Shaka, uh Saka coming on, I think, did make a positive impact. Not just to the to the to the team, but as you were saying, the crowd really responded to Saka coming on. It was a great reception, and it did sort of rejuvenate because there was there was a bit of. Not negativity, but, you know, it was it was sort of disheartening. Maybe that's a bit extreme, but to concede mm. that early. But, yeah, we responded pretty quickly. Um, and that Saka substitution, I thought, was key in that. Not that he was actually that great on the day. I don't think I did think he looked very leggy, particularly in the second half. But he obviously made that massive contribution, 10 assists. Now, I, th- I was looking at his in-depth metrics actually earlier and his x a per 90 is actually very good in all competitions so and it was like beating a lot of creative players in the premier League so yeah he looks like a real talent and that substitution definitely sort of elevated our game
0: oh absolutely absolutely very it's it's impossible to disagree there because only nine minutes after he came on um in the 27th minute he directly contributed to a goal Putting one on the plate for Eddie Enketio. Nice little uh, inside of the, <laughs> the foot volley there from, from Nketio, who picked up his first Premier League goal of the season. Um, mm. Andrew, obviously, Saka was left out from the start. Um, I think a lot of people definitely knew that that was down to the fact that he's been playing a lot of professional football lately, and he's just very recently bursted onto the scene. Him coming on, though, is that... Um, do you think Saka's going to be a guy that maybe we see given a rest against Olympiacos and maybe we'll kind of shoe somebody into that role? Because obviously when he's on the pitch, he makes an impact. Is that mm. a risk that's, that's Retarded, worth maybe, taking miles, or, maybe. Yeah, yeah I, or do we, do we give him a
1: rest? I, I, well, I think it's a—it's going to be a bit of a conundrum now, isn't it, for Arteta if if Kolasinac mm. is injured for any period of time, which it looks like he's going to be. It looks like he's going to be out for a little while. Um, mm. I, I would imagine... If I had to guess, if I had to put money on it, I think Saka will start against Olympiakos and will not play in the FA Cup game on Monday night, which would give him over a week's rest out of our next Premier League game. So that might get a tyranny a bit closer to full fitness or whatever it might be, or or give Arteta a bit more time to think about how he deals with, with the left back position, because there is an issue. I don't think you can play Saka in every game between now and the end of the season. I think Alfie, you might be right that, that Maitland Niles Mm -hmm. has been left out in the cold. He did very well there for us. People forget, you know, how well he actually did, um, you know, when he came in. And I, I remember, uh, was it the, there was a game against Liverpool at home. I think we drew 1-1. Was he playing Our in last that season. game? Yeah. Did he play in that yeah, game? I think like, he did. I think he did. Yeah. Um, I should look this up so I don't sound like an Egypt, but I, I, I have recollections of him playing in that game and playing very well against, against Mo Salah. So, you know, he can do a job there. For whatever reason, Arteta has been reluctant to use him... Um, Right back, and obviously we've brought in a we've brought in a right back. Well, one that can't play. Um, yeah. That that's that's the problem. Uh, actually, it was Kolasinac who played in that game. It was the season before, I think, when he played oh, okay. um, against Liverpool and and Ars- Yeah, oh, of course, was three, it was a, three. Was it? Yeah, it could have been because it was Arsene Wenger, of course, who who was in charge at the time. So look, he can do a job there. I think if we're stuck, you'd rather see someone like Maitland Niles there than someone like shaka um no yeah. I, I think shaka's done well there when he's played and he's done well at center half this season when, when he played and he had to go there in the in the chelsea game but i just think you know physically the the physical profile of shaka is not really suited to fullback so um i, I think we'll see saka on thursday and then after that uh arteta will have to find somebody else for the for the fa cup game
2: yeah i agree
0: yeah And only time will tell, really, obviously, like you said, Andrew, it is a bit of a conundrum at the moment. But unfortunately, as a football manager, that is something that you have to deal with is Mm. numerous conundrums. So especially being the manager of Arsenal, because everybody knows we have just the best of luck with with injuries, don't we? Um, Aubameyang did, though. Alfie managed to go and get the go-ahead goal 2-1. He made the score in the 33rd minute with a Thierry Henry-esque finish. Absolutely marvelous pass there, though from David Luiz, who was partially at fault for the for the first goal. But what did you make of that technique on the finish from Pierre-Emerick I mean,
2: Aubameyang? Was, it was brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, it, I think there's that clip of Gary Neville talking about Aubameyang. And as he said, he he, he trusted him when he went through and going. And you knew he was going to put that away. I think I did want to touch on Aubameyang on the left in general. A lot of people go on about it consistently about how Maybe it's not getting the best out of him, and maybe it's not getting the best out of his goal scoring exploits. I actually think in this system under Arteta, he sort of suits it. You know, he's not the most physically imposing centre forward. So when he's playing centrally, it's not like, you, you know, he, he doesn't, the ball doesn't always stick when it's played up to him, and he doesn't always hold it up very well. I think on the left hand side, it allows him to make, it's not like he's playing as a sort of archetypal winger, you know, stuck on the left-hand side, he's trying to create there, he, you know, he, he's making these diagonal runs constantly, that that goal was an example of that and yeah, I actually like Aubameyang on the left-hand side and I think Arteta agrees uh, with that I think he, because obviously, you know when Lacazette was dropped, we all assumed Aubameyang would be the one to go down the middle, but obviously he brought an in Ketia and he, I think he likes the fact that he can make these diagonal runs in behind and he, it still allows him, you know, when the ball's on the right-hand side to get in the goal-scoring opportunities uh, positions which were shown in the third goal in the box. So I just wanted to to touch on that and say, I don't think it's necessarily a big problem. And I do think we're seeing the best of him still in this, in this system personally.
1: Mm. Uh, would you, would you agree with that, Andrew? Look, I think he's, he's uh, absolutely capable of scoring goals from that position. Certainly. I think there's an issue more of an issue when, when he's played on the right hand side, Um but on the left-hand side, yeah. you know, he – look how many goals he scored for us. Just look how many goals he scored for us. You know, and most of those have come uh, being played from the left-hand side. So, I, I you know, I still think there's a good case to be made for using a world-class striker as a striker, as your centre forward. But when yeah. he's producing what he's producing – um you know, I don't know that we can argue with it too much. You know, so he was he was superb uh, against Everton. You know, the two goals, the work rate, the example he's shown as captain. Um, you know, there's a big question mark over his future, uh, and understandably so. And I don't think anybody should blame Pierre Emerick Aubameyang if he's thinking about the last couple of years of his career and he wants to play in the yeah. Champions League and those kind of things. Um, but he's not letting that distract him. In any way, he knows he's got a job to do for Arsenal. He's doing it really, really well. And I think, you know, if you want to talk stats, I think he's outperforming his XG by a considerable distance so far this season. So, you know, he's, yeah. he's really, really making a massive contribution, uh, you know, to a team which I think, uh, if we're going to be um, honest and diplomatic about things, has been not great. Um, for a while you know it's it's not been the, the best most cohesive attacking Arsenal team that any of us have seen in our lifetimes and yet he's still just banging them in and I think that's a testament to his overall quality we should be thankful that we have him and, and hopefully he can make a big contribution between now and the end of the season and, and we'll see what happens then
0: yeah. yeah absolutely and Andrew do you think it's just a case of give him what he wants if it's possible for him to stick around? or No,
1: I, I don't know that you can give him what he wants. I, I think you have to think about the best interests of the team. I think if we have Champions League football, let's say we win the Europa League or let's imagine that we, we um, somehow get into fifth and the lawyers uh, uphold the, the, the verdict against Man City, which I'm not 100% sure is going to happen. But you know, if we have Champions League football next season... You know, I think there is probably a case to be made to say, look, we'll give you a new deal, even though you're 31 years of age. We'll give you a pay rise because you've shown that you can do it and you can do it week in, week out. He doesn't get injured. Um, you know, he's available. He's consistent. I think then you have a case to make for giving him, if not exactly everything that he wants, but but trying to get him to stay by making him a very good offer if we don't have champions league football then i think you have to step back and think about what's the long term thing for arsenal here because um Aubameyang is not the only uh he's not the only arsenal player out of contract um mm. in 12 months time you know so it means this summer you've got to make a decision on um mustafi the Mesut ozil thing is a separate thing i think um Mustafi is another player who is out of contract in, in 12 months' time. Socrates is out of contract in 12 months' time. You know, if we don't make Champions League and Barcelona come in and they offer us 50 million or 60 million or something like that for Aubameyang, it's very hard to turn it down because that money could help us rebuild in a big way, even though we'd be losing a great player, but it would help us rebuild. And, you know, a year of Aubameyang's goals m- might not be enough to get us back where we want to go. So I think w- I think that's a-, a conundrum the club are going to have to face when they know exactly what we're going to be doing um, from a European point of view next year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a massive issue that, I mean, honestly, it just shows how important it is for a team the size of Arsenal to qualify for the Champions League. Alfie, obviously... In the Everton game, we'll just draw this to a close real quick. Um, Aubameyang did manage to get the game-winning goal, but prior to that, um, Richarlison and the fourth minute of stoppage time in that first half—sort of very, very scrappy goal. Um, Leno, in my opinion, I think he showed a lack of conviction off of his line, Um and Richarlison basically just just pokes it in. Would you would you make of that second uh, goal that we conceded
2: there? Yeah, as you said, very sloppy. And I think again, uh, I think if I'm not wrong, the ball was cleared and then it was recycled back into the area. I think there was a lack of urgency to get out, particularly from I think it was Bella and and it may have been Louise as well. But also, as you said, uh, Leno should be a bit more assertive there and sort of dominate his box. Maybe it's a bit harsh, but you know, maybe uh, I think uh, Andrew and James, you were saying it on on Askcast uh, yesterday. He isn't really that goalkeeper who likes to come off his line or likes to come early and punch, you know, very far, very often. Uh, So, yeah, that was disappointing, particularly as, obviously, it was on the stroke of half-time. But we did recover, great reaction, and got that goal. uh, Third-headed goal for Aubameyang uh, out of his six goals for Arteta, obviously didn't score a header before that under Emery or Arsene Wenger or Lundberg so yeah uh good reaction and second half was difficult in the end the XG suggested we were kind of lucky to uh see out the game I think they were they had the superior XG I think they had two point something to uh, our 1.6 or something uh but yeah uh great result in the end but Uh, I think this sort of performance was coming after the week we've had, particularly uh, playing on Thursday in Olympiacos in Athens. We didn't even get back to London until Friday evening, so a great result in the end, but things to work on still, I would say, but we ground out the result.
0: Yeah, he has a a lot to work on, Mikel Arteta, and we knew that was going to be the case once he picked up the job from Unai Emery and the shambolic state that we were in under Emery's jurisdiction does appear to be kind of getting a bit better there seems to be some positivity coming in and now the results are finally starting to to follow suit as well um the match obviously finished there with us having nine shots opposed to Everton's 17 leno in that yeah, there's a question like, the about this yeah and ob- we'll get into that absolutely yeah. yeah and leno he did pull up somewhat of a master class there at the end uh Really nice save there after Calvert-Lewin shot it at him, basically from right under his chin. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he helped us to secure the bag, basically. Um, Terrero Guenduzzi came on as the subs for Ceballos and Ozil. Add some more metal in there. And then, yeah, like you said, Alfie, incredible result. Um, given the balance of play on the game, we had three matches in a week, really, you know. So three wins in seven days. Can't complain too much about that. Right. Uh, now we move up to ninth. In the table, gentlemen. Uh, really <laughs> really doing well. Um, Olympiacos this coming Thursday. And after that, like Andrew was speaking about earlier, um, we've got Monday to Portsmouth away from home in the yeah, FA be going Cup. That. Well, absolutely. That'll be fun, man. Well, make sure to take some pics and and send me them. Link me them, will you? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's pretty much all that needs to be said about the Everton matchup. A good result. Um, not the most convincing i guess you could say not as convincing as the one at newcastle but i guess not all of them could be that convincing and winning a game that maybe you didn't deserve to win could be an even better sign or an even bigger sign rather of a good team than winning a game that you do deserve to win now moving on to some of the questions that we picked up from alfie's instagram alfie was i'll let you kind of take the floor on this was there any Nice
2: questions that you had for us. Uh, Let me just get some up. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Where is it? Oh, yeah. There was was one for Andrew uh, in particular. What are your honest thoughts on Arsenal fan TV, Andrew? bit controversial in the last few months, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess it has been. Um, Mm. My my honest thoughts are that, you know, it's... um, it's we live in a world where there's something for everyone, right? And, yeah. you know, you guys will have your listeners to your podcast and we have our listeners to our podcast and there are people who um, will watch Arsenal Fan TV and those that don't. You know, I think one of the, the things that people overlook or forget about um, is the very basic thing is the off button. You know, if you don't like yeah. something you don't have to listen to it or you don't have to read it or you don't have to watch it. Um, You know, I think they, uh, they produce stuff that a lot of people really, really like. They really like it and they produce it on a regular basis and fair play to them. You know, I think it, it's aimed at a slightly different demographic than, than me. Um, Yeah. You know, but it's, it's there. And I think, if you don't like it, that's absolutely fine. That's entirely your business. But, you know, it has as much right to exist as any other blog or podcast or video or whatever it might be, you know? So it's it's a question of, you know, uh, personal taste, I guess. You know, I, I, I see some of the, the, the songs and the chants that have gone up. And I have to say, you know, if, if your own fans are chanting about – you or chanting about your website or your blog or whatever it is. I'd
2: be horrible. It
1: would be horrible. I mean, I I think, you know, being realistic, you would probably have to step back and have a think, wouldn't you? About, okay, what what am I doing here? That that's causing this reaction. But at the same time, you know, uh, They can do whatever they, they can do what they do and they keep doing it. And it's very popular and people love it. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't want to see it, you don't have to watch it. You know, it's not mandatory. You don't have to follow them on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube or whatever it is. So, you know, use your personal choice. Um, If you don't like something, you can make that choice and you can make your life happier by not consuming that thing.
2: I completely agree with that. And I, I would agree with the things about the chanting. I think sort of seems a bit hypocritical because most of the uh, criticism towards Arsenal Fan TV has been around sort of increasing toxicity and you know, if you're sort of you're they're sort of fueling a divide uh in the fan base by chanting those sort of things. But yeah, I completely yeah. agree.
1: And I suppose if not- you
2: don't like it. Yeah,
1: I mean, the other thing as well is is that, you know, there's this sort of perception that um, it's, you know, uh, it's, it's better when we lose uh, and that kind of stuff, mm. like, you know. And it I is can, for other fans. Yeah, but. of course it is. But I, I can tell you, like, you know, that there is, let's say you lose 3-2 to Tottenham in a North London derby in a, in a pulsating end-to-end game and nobody wants to consider that situation because it's shit, right? So let's, you know, but I'm just using it as an example. So, you know, is there more to talk about? Is there more to say about that game than a 2-0 win over Norwich with a goal in the seventh minute and a goal in the 78th minute and not much in between? You know what I mean? So, yeah, you kind of have to, um, you know, I don't buy into this thing that, you know, they want arsenal to lose or or anything like that i just Definitely think not. by its very nature a defeat lends itself to greater discussion than a win in in many cases because you're you're talking about things that have gone wrong Whereas saying, well, Obamian's good, isn't he? Or, you know, that was a great pass from Ozil. You know, obviously you can analyze the games, but I just think that in general that there are more talking points when something goes bad um, than when things go, you know, 100% right. I mean, you can go the other end of the scale and you can win a trophy, you win the FA Cup as we did, you know, a few years ago. And, you know people are mad for that as well. So people are they are interested in success. They're kind of interested in the extremes of things. Like when things go really well, people are mad for it. When things go really badly, you know, they want to hear what other people have to say because it helps them rationalize it or it's sort of cathartic for them to, to hear a discussion about it or they might not know what to think about it. So they listen to a podcast or watch a video and say, well, what does he think about it? What do they think about it? Okay, that makes sense to me, you know. So... Um the, the the sort of boring stuff that happens when you, you know, when you win, um, you know, a routine game against an opposition that you don't really have any beef with or any history with or whatever, you know, that's just natural that it's going to get, you know, less, less coverage or less saturation or whatever it might be. So, um, look, to each their own, I say, you know, there's something out there for everyone. You know, particularly in the Arsenal world, you know, so many podcasts and videos and blogs and, and everything else. And it's great that there is something for everybody. And, you know, enjoy what you like. And if you don't like stuff, you know, don't wreck your own head by 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 going on about it.
2: I completely agree with that. Well said, uh, yep. yeah. Yeah. Uh, that question was from James underscore Bolton. Uh, something sort of along, well, it's not really along the similar lines, but sort of to do with the Arsenal blogging world. Uh, ben underscore Troopman says, uh, do you see other Arsenal blogs as competitors,
1: Andrew? No. No, not mm-hmm. at all. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always done uh, with, with blog is in, include lots of other Arsenal blogs, you know, and people who've been on yeah. the podcast. So you think of, you know, Gunnar Blog and Good Player. Arsenal and Vision. Arsenal Vision yeah. and uh, Gunnar Holick, our, our friend Gunnar Holick, who who died yeah. just before Christmas and yeah. East yes. Lower. Yes. And, you know, there were many more blogs back in the day when it, when it started. So I've always been, yeah. um, you know, v- quite supportive and, and very supportive. I've never saw it as competition. Again, for much the same reasons. There is something for for everyone. So if you don't like what I write, there's somebody else out there who's write, writing stuff that you will, you know? Um, so exactly. it's, no, it's not, we're not competitors and, and, uh, you know, the, the, the we don't have beefs or, or <laughs> any of that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It's, it's been, it's, yeah, a, it's, yeah. a, it's been like in the years that I've been doing, it, it's been a great a great community and I made a lot of good friends who were other, other Arsenal bloggers who've, you know, past and present. Some of them are still going, some not so much, but it's, you know, it's, for me, it's been very supportive. Um, so no, not competitors. And I think, you know, the, the more there is out there for everyone, the better, uh, it is. And if people have the, the time and the energy and the dedication to write about this football club, um, you know, time and time again, week in, week out, day in, day out, well then fair play to them, you know,
2: I'd agree. Uh, yeah. Uh, Daniel, was there anything you want to add to that? I don't know why you would, but
0: um, I would like to add about an hour long spiel to it about how I feel about every Arsenal blogger and how much I despise every other Arsenal. No, absolutely not. I don't look to <laughs> anybody as uh as competition in the field. Um, you know, especially guys like um, Andrew and James on the Arscast. Those guys are very much, inspirational to people like Alfie and I and you know we just we aspire to be like the big boys one day and you know no way no beef like Andrew said no beef allowed
1: yeah exactly same with this you know what podcasts you know you guys ask me to come on I'm happy to come on and you know I, I I ask people to come on my podcast so I always feel like when when somebody else asks you know uh, people have given me enough of their time I should give some of my time back to, 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 to others. So it, it all works. It's like a big circle of podcasting karma. It'll all come back on us in the end. So be nice. <laughs>
2: Very good answer. Yeah, I agree. Uh, probably got time for one more question. Uh, there's a few more about sort of things we've already covered in as a sort of to do with the Everton game. So I'll move away from that. But we've got one from Andy.Forman. Which is again sort of on the Arsenal blogging uh, industry. How would you say football blogging has changed since you launched ArsBlog?
1: Um, good question. Uh, I mean, how has it changed in loads of ways? I mean, first when I started ArsBlog, it was nearly eighteen years ago, so it was just a it was just a website. It was like a web page. But now, of course, you've yeah. got to have your social media. So you've got to have Twitter. You've got to have Facebook. You've got to have Instagram. You've got to have YouTube. You've got to – we've got apps. You know what I mean? We've got our Android app. We've got our iOS app. Very good app. You know, you, you've got to – thank you. you. You've got to be – um, in the places where people consume the content, so it used to be a case: if you wanted to read a website, you went to the website with your computer, and that was it. That was the only way to do it, right? Uh, we apart from an email, we used to send the blog out every day by email. Um, but now you're spread across various platforms, and you know people are consuming things in in different ways. You got to make sure that, like, you know, if someone wants to listen to your podcast on their telly, they can do that, you know, or you know, yeah. just basic stuff. So. Um, I, I think the other thing is that the the amount of information that we have available to us is hugely, hugely uh, different. It's we have so much more information about every aspect of the football club. So when I started writing about Arsenal, there would be you know you get what's in the papers and and what have you but you know now there's so much media out there that even the the official site themselves produce you know behind the scenes stuff you know bench cam stuff you know we know about we know about the first team we know about the women's team we know about the reserve team we know about the youths you know you think about somebody like george bird who's been writing a blog about the arsenal youth for for so long you think about mm-hmm. Uh, finance and ownership and shareholders and all of these things that nobody gave a single shit about, you know, in the past, Mm -hmm. we are all experts, all of us. We're all experts and we all have an opinion on all of those things. So it's, it's, uh, it's that. And I think the other thing that's different is the audience is different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, arsenal over the last 15 years has become and football in general i think has become premier league anyway has become much more global than it was yeah you know so you're reaching people in different parts of the world um who are as passionate and into arsenal as any of us are you know and and location makes everybody's experience different you know um you're you're local alfie and i'm sure you you Go to every game, are you a season ticket holder? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're a season ticket holder, you go every home game, some away games, mm-hmm. I'm sure, and you know, that's your Arsenal experience. And a guy who's living in Australia or India or America can be just as mm-hmm. passionate about the club as you, but have a completely different experience in how it is that they they follow the club and they support the club. And I think just being aware of that is is a big change you know um i yeah. it's I, I don't think you can i don't think anybody should be a snob about um about being a fan of a club because look you have the privilege of going to 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 many games and that's something that lots of people would trade places with you for um, Definitely. but you you know that you're part of like a big worldwide group of arsenal fans who who all love Arsenal and want to see us do well. So we all have our own experience of, of the club. And I think that's a really interesting thing. You know, it's not just the guys who go every Saturday or, you know, um, and talk about it in the pub afterwards, the way it used to be the Arsenal community, the conversation is now far, far bigger than it ever was. So that's a really interesting part of, of where things have gone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's great. The, uh, more global aspect, um, I mean the fact that uh, if I'm looking at my own Instagram blog, I think seventeen percent from Nigeria, ten percent America. Wow. It's given me a massive audience audience from there. So sure. And and yeah, obviously getting different opinions from, from people all across the world. And obviously you've got to rate the times they're up to. I mean, even uh, Daniel, you're at what up at like seven AM sometimes, is that right?
0: Yeah, usually but yeah. somewhere between so, seven and ten AM,
2: yep. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's great. And, yeah, that's interesting to see how how it's changed because, obviously, I don't really... Well, I don't remember before, you know, social media and stuff. So. <laughs> it yeah. was a strange,
1: yeah. strange time. Let me tell you, a strange, <laughs> better, and perhaps happier time. <laughs> yeah, <probably. laughs> but look, you know, that's it. That, that's, that, the thing is, you can't put the genie back in the bottle, can you? You just can't. That mm. this is the reality of of what life is like now, and and we all have to deal with that in our own way and cultivate our own social media experiences and and try and keep things as nice and polite as as possible so you know it's it's also a great way to to, to meet other people and reach out to other fans and connect with other fans as well. You know, exactly. it's, I think people sometimes forget that. You know, there's this perception that, well, social media is bad and Twitter is bad because everyone's calling you a fucker for for having an opinion about something. But actually, you know, those people are, are very much the minority, certainly in my experience. And, you know, it, it, it yeah. helps you forge these connections with people which, which are great, you know. Um, I think we should embrace that. We'll see where it goes next. Um, and that's the thing, you've always got to be aware that there's going to be another platform, another way in which people are going to consume media and, and be ready for it and get ready to uh, to go with that.
2: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, probably call it a day now. Uh, but thanks very much, Andrew, uh, for your insights. It's been a pleasure. Uh, a bit surreal at the start, I'm not going to lie, hearing <laughs> your voice and not listening to the podcast and actually speaking to you. Oh, that's uh, okay. But yeah.
1: No, it's my, oh, yeah, it my pleasure to come on and, uh, you know, best of luck with the podcast, keep doing it. Uh, that's the only way, you know, to, to, to make it grow and to, to build it is just keep doing it. And you you'll get your audience, you'll get your listeners, you'll get your loyal fans. Um, strange mm-hmm. as that might sound and, and, you know, just keep it going and keep up the good work. Thanks very much. Well, thank, you very, uh, thank you very
0: much, Andrew. Yes, absolutely. And it was an honor, like Alfie said, having you on the podcast. Like he said, also very, very surreal. May I just say, I am pleased to say, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew is not catfishing us with that gelatinous, beautifully deep voice of his. It is real. He is not going through a voice deepener generator or something like that. You know, it's it's authentic. It's the real stuff. <laughs> And man, it was, it was brilliant. I'll tell you what, um, Andrew, we kind of have a tradition around here to tongue in cheek ish Lee. I don't know if that's actually a proper way to say that. Um, tongue in cheek ish. Yeah, whatever. Um, to offer our guests the marketing opportunity of a lifetime to plug themselves to our unprecedented 100 listeners. Is there anything (laughs) that you'd like to plug prior to us drawing this bad boy to a close.
1: Wow. The tens of people who are listening to this right now. Well, that's, you know, (laughs) don't do yourselves down. It takes time to build. It takes time to build an audience. I don't know. Look, if if there's anybody out there who isn't, um, you know, listening to the podcast or reading the site, you know, download the Ars Blog app on iOS or Android, and you can get the blog, you get the news site, you get the podcast, the live blog, all of the good stuff in there. So yeah, download the apps. There's my little plug for, for your listeners.
0: Excellent. Very good. And Alfie, I think you wanted to plug my friend. You're used to this. You're a professional at it.
1: I am. Uh,
2: Well, we love you arsenal.co.uk blog. We've got a team of writers. Yeah. Uh, Have a read.
0: (laughs) Speaks for itself, doesn't it? I mean, I've got nothing to plug. Uh, Share this podcast. Leave a review. Also, go check out the Arscast if you haven't watched it already and read the Arscast blog. If you oh, haven't, yeah. what the hell are you doing? I mean, honestly, go give that go give that awesome stuff a good checking because it is absolutely quality. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. It was very nice of you, and, and we really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thanks, guys.
0: Alrighty, we will see you next time, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next week. It will probably be after the I think it's that's going to be after the Portsmouth game so we may have two games to talk about after then it's going to be Olympiacos and Portsmouth might be a little bit of a a double decker for you guys um once again Hmm. thank you for tuning in and what we see all we will see you all next time toodaloo
2: see you later